The Reverend Horace, when he booked me, suggested I might preach an evangelistic message this morning, message in the gospel, and that's what I intend to do with the help and by the grace of God. And what I want to do this morning, I want to link up a few verses found in Genesis 45, 46, and 47. They all relate to the life and the times of the patriarch Jacob. Someone has said that Jacob died wearing the harness of a parent, a patriarch, and a prophet. It's a glorious testimony to God's grace in his life that he did endure unto the end faithful to his God. Now, he was not perfect, but he did finish his course well. And it's not necessarily the way you begin. Rather, it is the all-important thing, how you end the course in the sight of Almighty God. And I want to have a look at these few verses that I will soon bring to your attention and I want to seek to present gospel truth that the Lord has revealed to me in my studies of these particular verses from God's Word. But before we do so, we need to look at these verses in their proper setting, in their proper context. To do so, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 43 and verse 1, where we read these words. And the famine was sore in the land. That is a reference, of course, to the land of Canaan. There was a famine in the land. So Jacob said to his sons in verse 2, Go again, buy us a little food. So the relief that they had obtained from their first journey to Egypt was now exhausted. The sons complied with the old father's request, headed off to Egypt, they purchased supplies, and then returned home. And when they returned home, they brought back with them a, a, a bountiful supply of provisions. But there was something more. And as A.W. Pink wrote, they had a strange tale to tell. The core of the message that they delivered to their father when they returned is the first verse that I want to turn your attention to today. It's verse 45 and verse 20, chapter 45 and verse 26. If you would just turn to that, please, and we'll go through these verses and take time to read them and then hopefully take time to think about them, not only in the service, uh, but when you return home. Notice what it says there in Genesis 45, verse 26. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. That's the words I want to emphasize here right now. Joseph is yet alive. That brings me to the first point. And the first point is very simple. Thinking about Joseph as a wonderful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word that surprised Jacob. Well, this word surprised Jacob 
Because as far as he was concerned, his son Joseph was dead. He had been rent asunder years before. What a total surprise it was to Jacob to be told Joseph is yet alive. This surprising, unbelievable news stunned the old man. He could not believe what he was hearing. It was just too good to be true. No wonder the Bible says in verse 26 that Jacob's heart fainted. Now, what does that mean? One author said he began to cease breathing. Literally, it is his heart grew cold or his heart grew numb. He almost suffered a heart attack. He was so shocked. He was so stunned. He was so surprised by this word, by this message that his sons brought to him on this occasion. He almost had a heart attack. He who but a short time before committed his sons into the care of God as they departed to Egypt in the face of the threatenings, the threatening attitude of an overbearing Egyptian official is now rewarded with this stunning news. Joseph, his son, the one he thought to be dead is alive. He remembered the moment when his other sons came to him and presented unto him a torn, multicolored coat covered in blood. And this is what they said to the old man then. This we have found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat. Can you imagine how he must have felt on that occasion? When the multicolored coat that he had made for Joseph was torn to pieces and he thought it was covered in his son's blood. Of course, that was a deception. But there's one thing that we need to remember. Remember what Jacob did years before. Remember how he deceived his father when he sought to get the blessing that was due to Esau. Jacob was a plain man. He was a smooth man. He wasn't a hairy man like his brother Esau. And his mother put him up to this. I, I want you to pretend that you are Esau and go in and get the blessing your father wants to bestow. What did he do? He, he killed an animal. He took off the skin, attached it to his arms and up around his neck. Any place the father might touch when he drew near to kiss him. Giving the impression that he was a hairy man. Seeking to deceive his father into thinking, I'm Esau. I'm the son you want to bless. And so, Isaac, he thought the voice sounded like Jacob. But then as he began to grope around and feel his arms and up round his neck, he realized this is a hairy man. This, this has got to be Esau. Now, Isaac was blind at the time. And so his hands were guiding him. And he assumed then that this was Esau. And he bestowed his blessing. Now what's the moral of the story? You reap whatsoever you sow. So way back then, God knew it. God was there. God was present when he deceived his father. And the boys on the occasion mentioned in Genesis 37, 
When they took Joseph's robe from off him, cast him into the pit, sold him as a slave, they ripped it in pieces, they killed an animal, and they dipped that coat in the blood of the animal, and they brought it into the presence of their father, and said, can you identify this multicolored coat? Yes, I can, it's my son Joseph's. He must, he must have been rent in pieces by a wild animal. And here's the truth. The Bible says, you will reap whatsoever you sow. And here we find Jacob, we find Jacob reaping what he had sown because of something that had taken places before. And so this is what they tell the old father now. Joseph, the one you thought to be dead, is alive. And they proceeded to tell all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. It was like a resurrection day for Jacob. His joy could not have been greater than the joy experienced by Martha and Mary as they watched their brother emerge from the tomb. This was good news. This was tremendous. Joseph had been in the pit. Joseph had been in the prison. But the news they bring is Joseph is now in the palace. He was dead in a sense. He went down into the place of the prison. But he's alive and well. That's the stunning, surprising news that Jacob heard on this occasion. Now the tomb in which Joseph had laid his son may have been only in his mind. There's no telling what he thought. Can you imagine bringing this news? He thought many a time, how did my son die? What a cruel way for my son to die. I'm sure many a sleepless night was experienced by that old saint of God. Imagining how his son had died. Many fathers and mothers have grieved over sons and daughters whose mortal remains could never be laid to rest. The distant battlefield, the watery deep, the consuming fiery inferno deprived them of the comfort of performing that last act of kindness to their loved one, the privilege of burying their dear son or daughter or loved one. It was therefore fitting, I think anyway, that those who over 20 years earlier had brought home the wicked lie of Joseph's death now brought the news that he was alive. Now Jacob had wept at the word of his son's death. But now he faints when he hears this good news of him being alive. Strange to say we often are more ready to heed evil tidings than we are to embrace good tidings. Jacob had to be persuaded that Joseph was indeed alive. He had to be convinced. And the even more glorious end is reserved for the gospel story in which Joseph is a type. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's dearly beloved Son, was sent by God the Father on a mission, a rescue mission, to save men and women from their sins. He came from heaven's glory. He lived among men as a man, the God-man. 
At the appointed time, he died in atoning death. He suffered the cruelties of an agonizing death. And the moment came when he cried it was finished and he bowed the head and he gave up the ghost and he died. And then we know the story of those two individuals who came and they took down the body from the cross and they buried the body. So he was alive for a time. He died. He was laid in the grave until the resurrection morning came and the message was proclaimed by the angels. He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. That's the message Jacob heard way back in the Old Testament. Joseph is alive. And the message in the New Testament is Jesus is alive. He has accomplished redemption. He has redeemed his people from the bondage of sin. And he's alive. He's ascended to God's right hand. He lives in the power of an endless life. And glory to God, he's coming again. Oh, glorious day. The king is coming. Because he accomplished fully the eternal purpose of the Father by becoming a sacrifice for sin to redeem men and women from their sins. Do you believe the good message, the good news, that Jesus has died for sinners, that he was buried for sinners, that he's been raised to justify sinners? And that if you repent of your sins and believe the gospel by the power of the Spirit and come to him through faith, he will in no wise cast you out. Oh, this is the surprising news that we have in the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we thought about the surprising news, the word that surprised Jacob. But we've got to move on. In the second place, we turn to, uh, well, it's in the same page. It's Genesis 45, verse 27. Let me take a moment to read this to you. You don't have to go far in your Bible. It's the same chapter and the very next verse, verse 27. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And listen to it. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. So what do I want to say about this verse? The wagons that convinced Jacob. So you have the word that surprised Jacob, Joseph is alive. And then you have the wagons that convinced Jacob. When he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. He could hardly believe the news that Joseph was alive. Whom he had long ago given up to be dead. But it was only when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent that he revived. The word of the brothers, the word of the sons, does not seem to be sufficient for Jacob. He was a strong believer in the truth expressed by the well-known cynical phrase, seen as believing but the wagons Joseph had sent from Egypt convinced him it was only when he saw these wagons or carts which Joseph had provided to carry him down into the land of Egypt that they accepted the news as genuine the, 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 the wagons made the difference the message was very clear Joseph is alive, 
and ruler over all Egypt, and he sends to you all these provisions and bids you to come to him without delay. So he said, I will go and see him before I die. Now we too live in a famine-stricken land, spiritually speaking. But as just as the wagons of Joseph rolled up to Jacob's front door with rich provisions, so the gospel of God's amazing grace comes to sinners with the same dual purpose, to bring rich provisions from Christ and to bring them from doom to Christ. So Joseph sent these rich provisions to enrich the father and the family. And at the same time the wagons were used to bring Jacob from a distance down into the land of Egypt so he might be reconciled with the well-beloved son. The long-lost beloved son. The gospel brings the very best of news to men and women, boys and girls and teenagers in a land of death. And like the wagons, the gospel witnesses to the true sufferings of the greater than Joseph. Think of all the years of suffering Joseph experienced, sold by his brothers, falsely accused, cast into prison, and so on for years. But all these things were ordained of God for a purpose. That in a sense, Joseph might become the savior of his people. And the saviour of those in Egypt in need of food and provision. So Joseph, according to the message, he is exalted to a place of power in the land of Egypt. He is there at the right hand of the king upon the throne. Do we not see a wonderful type and figure and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who humbled himself, became obedient unto death, endured the sufferings of the cross, laid in the tomb, raised by the power of God. He's ascended to God's right hand, where he ever liveth to intercede on behalf of his people, just the way Joseph intercede on behalf of his people. And so, when these provisions were brought, when they arrived there in the wagons, Jacob at once tasted the rich provision sent by Joseph. And as soon as a man or woman receives the word of truth, the word of truth of the gospel, he gets or she gets a sweet taste of Christ's provision. We are encouraged to taste and see that God is good. He receives pardon. He receives acceptance and righteousness and peace and sonship. Victory over sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All here and now. And heaven to follow. All these spiritual blessings in Christ. And this is what the wagon of the gospel brings to men. The rich provision of God's grace. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Called effectually by the Holy Spirit. Redeemed by precious blood. And filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Given the promise of eternal glory. Everlasting salvation. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the end is not yet. Best is still to be. To be at home with the Lord forever. In contrast to the place reserved for the devil and his angels. And all the ungodly men and women who have ever lived and died in their sin. 
cast away from the presence of God into eternal darkness, down forever, lost forever. But there's mercy with God. There's a Savior. One who lived, one who loved, one who died, but one who's alive. And through the gospel message today, you're hearing of his great provision and his grace in the gospel. Are you going to close your ears? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to resist again the gospel message? Be in time. Be in time while the voice of Jesus calls you. Be in time. What a day it was when Jacob saw Joseph. Surely it will be an even greater day when we see Jesus. Child of God, life can be cruel at times. Life can be hard and harsh. We all have to go through the troubles and trials of life, sicknesses, illnesses, family issues, church issues, political situation, our country fears, worries and doubts. We all go through these. We're all human beings, you know. But there's a better day coming when we'll see Christ in his glory. We'll see him as he is. And when we look into the face of Christ in his glorified body in heaven, we'll look into the face of God because God God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We'll see him. Christ is the only one of the divine trinity who took into union with his deity a human body. And in heaven, in his glorified body, he remains. And when we see him, we'll see God. A better day is coming for the saints of God. The king's wagons have come in the gospel time and time again. God's servant has preached to you and appealed to you to repent of your sins. It's time to get aboard for glory. Stop procrastinating. There's no time for delay. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So Jacob took his journey to meet again his long lost son. And what a meeting it was. That brings me then to my third verse. Chapter 46, verse uh, 29 just over the page chapter 46 and verse 29 let me read that verse to you and Joseph made ready his chariot and went out to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while after all those years of missing his well-beloved son, the moment arrives when there is the reconciliation. And that brings before me the third point, the welcome that awaited Jacob. So there's the word that surprised Jacob, the wagons that, the wagons that convinced Jacob, and then the welcome that awaited Jacob. So having made the decision to go, he believed that Joseph now was alive, he made the decision to go and see Joseph before his death. So he commences the journey. And as you can see, he's described here by his spiritual name, Israel. And Israel took his journey, 46 and verse 1. He paused at a place called Beersheba and offered sacrifices. Here we have the thought of a man going to see the well-beloved son, and there's the thought of a sacrifice being offered. And of course, Christ is the sacrifice that is offered on behalf of sinners. And then God spoke to him for the seventh and last time, as far as I can make out, 
and verse 2. There's no record of any other communication such revelation as this. His days were drawing to a close. What a comfort it must have been to him to hear this word from God. Listen to it now. A time will come when God will speak to us for the last time. Are you listening now? A time will come, a moment will come when God will speak for the last time. The last time. He says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. The last time. Maybe this is the last time. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe you've come to this house today. You're hearing the word, the gospel for the last time. And God will have nothing more to say to you. You can harden your heart and leave the house of God and go your way and die in your sin and perish in your sin and be lost in your sin and be damned to eternity forever. And you're about ready to take the final step in the opposite direction, in the wrong direction. You're even prepared now to walk away from him. To walk away for another appeal in the gospel. The Lord's message was designed to reassure Jacob that he would see Joseph. That's what God was saying to him. You're going to see Joseph. You're going to behold him. You're going to embrace him. And God was actually saying that he would bring Jacob's people out eventually, out of the land of Egypt, because in the providence of God, this was God's plan to preserve the nation, and God saw to it that they got the best part of the land, the land of Goshen, to preserve them from the idolatry or the sinfulness of the Egyptians, from their many idols. And so God in his grace preserved them. But the tide turned eventually and then another king arose who did not know Joseph and began to persecute the people of God. But here was a promise that God said, I'll go with you, Jacob. I'll go with you, but I will visit your people down there. I'll make of them a great nation. They multiplied from a handful to maybe two million at the time of the Exodus. And at the time of the Exodus, the Lord brought the people out with a mighty hand through redemption through the shedding of the blood of the Paschal Lamb that speaks to us of the shedding of the blood of Christ. There's only one way to be redeemed in both Testaments. It's the blood. The blood of the Paschal Lamb that points us to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God for sinners slain. What a scene it must have been when Jacob and Joseph embraced. What a scene it must have been. So Joseph is in his chariot and uh, he's he's ready there to go out to see his old dad. Now you think for a moment what a reunion it must have been when the heavenly Joseph was reunited with his father after he suffered his atoning death on the cross. The disciples are with the Lord on the mount there Mount of Olives, and suddenly he ascends up into glory. It's coming that way as well, you know. A literal, physical appearance of Jesus Christ is going to happen that way. Can you imagine what it must have been like when the sun entered into glory? 
the reunion took place between the Father and the Son. Here we have a foreshadowing of that down here in Genesis chapter 46. Joseph was waiting in the royal carriage and Jacob was waiting in the wagons that Joseph had provided. And then the embrace. Ah, what a scene it must have been. Good to see you, my son. Good to see you, father. And you know what Jacob says next? He says, I'm ready to die now. Because I've been reconciled to the long lost son. That, that reminds me of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Remember when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the, the house of God to dedicate the child to the Lord? Simeon was there, an old man who had been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. God had promised him by the word that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And there he is. And suddenly this baby appears in the arms of the mother and father. And he takes the child up in his arms and he identifies the child as Messiah. How did they know? It was revealed to him by the Spirit. I have Christ in my arms. I have embraced him. And because I now have embraced him and there's a spiritual application. He says, I'm now ready to depart for my eyes have seen my salvation. And you're not ready to depart until you've embraced by faith the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior for sinners. You need to trust him. For salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. You need to trust him today. You need to repent of your sins today. And seek the Lord for salvation. Someone in our village just passed the other day. The grandchild was in the home and usually ran up to waken Granda from his sleep. The child loved Granda. Ran up the stairs and tried to waken Granda. No response. The child came down the stairs crying. Mummy, mummy, come. Papa will not waken. He'd pass away. And to eternity. I don't know where he stood. But I'm challenging you now. We never know the moment. And you're only ready to die if you've embraced God's dear son is your own personal saviour. You're not fit, you're not ready to die. Unless you are in a right relationship with him. It's always a great occasion of joy when a sinner is reconciled to the beloved son. But it was still necessary for Joseph to officially present his father and his family to Pharaoh at court. So the reconciliation is taking place. You see that. And then Joseph, the beloved son, takes his father and his family and presents them to the king in his court. Oh, we have here a most precious thought as well because it's only the Lord Jesus Christ that presents us to the heavenly father with exceeding great joy. He's the one who brings us into the presence of the king of glory. So having been reconciled to the well-beloved Son, then he's the one who introduces us into the Father's presence. Come to the final verse. Verse 9 of chapter 47. So we've thought about these three things already. 
the word that surprised Jacob, the wagons that convinced Jacob, the welcome that awaited Jacob, and then finally, the witness that summed up Jacob. Chapter 47, verse 9, look at it. I'll soon be finished. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. The witness that summed up Jacob's life. The days of the years of my pilgrimage. Now, Pharaoh asked a very pertinent question. Uh, some people might be offended if they were to ask you, well, what's your age? But Pharaoh, of course, being the king, he had no fears about this. He says, how old art thou? If I was to ask some of the ladies, they might hit me in the head with a handbag if I was at the door there. Nobody likes to uh, give away their age, except the Balamina man, he doesn't care as long as he has a free bus pass. That's the thing, what's all about, you see? How old are thou? And he says, I'm 130 years at this point of time. And he describes his life, the days of the years of my life. A wise man counts life in days, for he dares not presume to count his tomorrows and heap them up into years. That speaks of the brevity of life. He emphasized the character of his life, my pilgrimage. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130. And in verse 29, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, whose age at the end of life was 147. So what does that suggest to us or tell us? He had Joseph for the first 17 years of his life, and then Joseph for the last 17 years. So in total... He enjoyed Joseph for 34 years. Think of the brevity. Days, not years, not months, not weeks, days. The blessing of his life. Well, he talks here about his pilgrimage. He was a pilgrim bound for glory. Jacob was on a journey, and this was just a stopover at Pharaoh's palace but another resting place on the journey to the Father's house above. Now Pharaoh will, with all of his power and glory, must not think that he is going to abide forever. He too will be forced to, on a journey too, but where? Where? Jacob knew where he was going. Pharaoh may have thought he knew where he was going. But when the time came, if he lived and died the way that he lived on life, on earth, believing what the Egyptians believed, he would have gone out into eternal night and eternal darkness. And then the burden of life. He says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's the words of Job. And Jacob describes his days as few and evil. Few and evil. And then eternity. Where will you be in eternity? This sums up his testimony. He wasn't perfect, but he was a sinner saved by grace. He was ready to go. He was ready to die. 
And before he died, he said to Joseph, don't bury me down here, but I want to be buried with my fathers. I want to go to be with them. Of course, there is a spiritual truth there. I want to be reunited with those who have gone on before, believers. But I want my body to be buried in the land of Canaan. Where will your soul be when your body is buried? When the last breath has been taken, the parents, the family, the loved ones, as they gather around the bed, crying and weeping and sad and solemn, where will your soul be? Heaven or hell? With Christ or out of Christ? We have in this historical account before us a wonderful message of a positive response to good news. And may you respond positively to the news, the good news of the gospel today because we see it here in this portion before us. The word that surprised Jacob, Joseph, you thought was dead, but he's alive. Christ is alive. The wagons that convinced Jacob, the wagons that brought the provision and Christ and the gospel brings this provision of grace. The welcome that awaits. There's a loving welcome awaiting sinners who turn to the Father in faith and repentance. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And then there's the witness that summed up his life. The days of the years of my pilgrimage. He's a pilgrim. He's on his way to glory. He's on his way home. May God be pleased to speak to your heart this day. And bless you with his mercy and his grace. And may you seek him while he may be found.